Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. 
I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Very excited to be back with you with another episode here in person with my friend Sandra Shannon. What's up, my friend? How are you today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. It's my pleasure. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, we're going to have an amazing conversation. Um, it is first and foremost an honor that you'd sit down with me. And so for those who do not know you, tell us a little bit about your backstory and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for having me in the studio today. Of course. This is amazing and beautiful and really excited to be here with you. But, you know, I think if I really think about my story and I've been thinking about it, you know, uh, a lot lately as the last couple of years have brought me to where I am today, which is, you know, our life is so long and there's so many things that happen. When I really look at everything, I think that my story is a, a journey of self-love. And, you know, what got me to that, and I mean, I guess we can take it way back to when I was a kid. So when I was a when I was in third grade, I was, I don't know if they diagnose you with dyslexia. I don't know how that works because I was a kid, you know, but in the school system, they came to my parents and they said, you know, she's eight, she can't read, mm. she can't write. She barely talk. And I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And when that happened, you know, I, I had severe dyslexia. I mean, you know, so some people can't have a hard time with reading, writing, math, or speech. I had all of it, you know. And, uh, and that was a real challenge for my parents because I don't think they knew how to help me. And my parents were very blue-collar. My dad was a butcher. My mom was a cashier. So they really were not didn't value education that much and they didn't really understand how to help me because they were also teenagers when they had me. So I was a young, they were young parents and they had uh, my sisters and I, all four of us by the time they were 24 years old. And so they had a lot of responsibility at a really, really young age. Um, so teachers tell my mom, she can't read or write. She may never read or write. You know, of course it was like the worst thing you could ever tell a parent. Right. And I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but, you know, at third grade, I got held back and they put me into a special education program. And this is what I'm not sure if, if this is PC to say, say anymore, but I rode the short bus and it was really embarrassing, you know, because as a young kid, like I could comprehend what was happening. Yeah. I, I knew that I was struggling with reading, writing and even speech, but I knew what was going on around me. But it put me as a young child into this really sad place of just not, you know, I didn't have anything to like about myself. All I kept hearing was all the things that I was never going to be able to do, mm. never be able to do, you know, like I was never going to have the life that everybody else had. 
And it was bad enough that I lived in a home where there was a lot of stress. So I often wonder sometimes if maybe what was happening to me was, um, what's the right word? Like from from the stress of the environment. The stress of the environment. Well, yeah, for impacted sure. that too. You know, yeah. I mean, I think we know now when kids are under stress, their ability to learn is impaired. Yeah. So I don't think anybody really considered that either. We'll be right back to the show, my friend, but I wanted to let you know about our brand new podcast community for Think Unbroken Podcast. I know that for so many trauma survivors like myself, for the longest time, I felt alone, like nobody got it, nobody understood, and that I was just going to have to figure this out on my own. But that's not true. And the reason why we created our brand new Think Unbroken Academy podcast community is so that we can bring all the members of the Unbroken Nation together in a place where we can learn, grow, heal, change, and transform our trauma into triumph. I would love to have you come and be a part of the brand new community. Just check out thinkunbrokenacademy.com or click the link in the podcast description. And I cannot wait to see you there, my friend. Again, just head over to thinkunbrokenacademy.com. And until then, be unbroken. Yeah, I think that's just now being considered. I mean, you go look yeah. at any of the work around children growing up in traumatic environments and that exact thing is a part of that nomenclature. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was a big part of, you know, that's where it all started was this diagnosis. But, you know, as I'm riding the short bus and I'm in special ed classes with kids who I think genuinely did need to be there. And then there were kids like me who started to become problems because... Uh, I, I think for me, I was very frustrated because there was nobody advocating for me. I never became a problem. And, you know, there there were kids that would cut my hair and do all these things. When I say problem, I was not a problem. But I, I recognize why some kids in that system become um, problem kids because, you know, everybody's treated the same in the public school system. And for me, uh, I just knew that I didn't belong there. I just maybe needed a little help, but, you know, in the public school system, you know, they have certain ways that they, they're, you know, you get a class of 30 kids, you can't just help this one kid who can't read. Mm -hmm. So I got sent off there. Now, what that did, though, was as I started realizing I didn't belong there, I started looking at this situation and what I could do, even as a young person, like, I had enough self-awareness to know that I needed to figure out how to make the most of this, because I was stuck. And... You know, home life, it was probably better than my home life to still be there. So I, I started looking at that situation and going, all right, well, what can I do? And I remember like going to the zoo and I would start helping the teachers by taking the hands of all the kids that were there that actually needed help. And everybody always thought I was the assistant. Like eventually, like I, even though I was one of the students, everybody always thought I was in charge somehow. I was one of the students in charge because I was always trying to help. And I really, at that point, started realizing that you know, I felt a lot better about myself being in the service of these other people that were there. And um, so service has been a huge part of my self-love journey. And I, I got into junior high and I had a teacher who, you know, they do these IEPs. He came and he sat down with my mom. And, uh, and, and for whatever reason, my mom thought it was so great that I was in a special education program because she thought, like, she's going to get extra help. This is a great thing. Mm -hmm. But really, it was killing me inside to be there. 
And I had, I think I was in eighth grade, and I had a teacher who, my special ed teacher who brought my mom in, and he said, why'd you let them do this to her? You know, with this beautiful kid who's got the lowest self-esteem that I've ever seen. And I didn't know what self-esteem meant back then. Nobody really taught me the word self-esteem. And I kept thinking, what's he saying about me? Mm. I'm not going to have low self-esteem. Because I'm very, uh, I think if you ask anybody who knows me, I'll say I'm very uh, uh, fiery. Fiery. I, I got to prove them wrong. You know, it's like, I was like, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm not going to have low self-esteem. And I remember thinking that, but I didn't even know what that word meant. Know, no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. And I started learning what it meant. And, you know, to me, it meant I had to learn to love myself despite all this other stuff, you know, because I really felt like. Uh, as a kid, I was being told that, you know, I was worthless, you know, because you can't read and write. Where do you go from there? Right. Eventually I learned to read and write, but that's a whole other subject. I think we could probably cover, but so I'm sitting there and this teacher and he, and, and he really advocated for me. He was like the first grown up that ever really said like, she's so much more valuable than this. You know, why would you let them do this to her? Why did you let them do this? And uh, eventually he ended up being, I, you know, as a kid, I don't know if you can call a teacher a mentor, but I remember, you know, he was who really set me off on this journey of becoming so much more than I ever thought possible and so much more than I think the people around me had ever thought that I could do because, you know, of, of what was being said. And he said, I think you need to run for student body. It, which was great because, you know, I had never put myself out there. I didn't know if anybody wanted to do that. But because I had been in the service of so many other students, I won. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, man, I can do this. Then I became a, a peer tutor, which required a lot of being able to help other students through trauma. You know, we were assistants to the it, – it, actually, the peer tutor program at my school was to help kids who had uh, – who were having difficulties – with their mental health. And so we went through a pretty extensive training and we would assist the school in doing this so that they had another peer to talk to about difficult subjects and things that were happening in their lives. And that was really how I kind of started to release some of what was happening in my life was just being in the service of these other kids. And I was the youngest peer tutor in the school, the school's ever, ever had. And, uh, and that really, uh, that, that teacher, um, his name was Mr. Llewellyn. He actually died of AIDS from the in, in about 2000, I think it was 1992. But I loved him dearly, and I remember leaving for spring for Christmas break, coming back, and he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew, because back then people weren't talking about that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, I was just devastated, but I just knew. I was like, man, this guy believed in me, and I can keep doing great things. You know, I was having these huge wins for a kid. Um, and despite not even having support at home to do these things, my dad was, my mom and dad worked all the time. They probably didn't even know any of this was going on. Um, and, you know, uh, at home, I was also really responsible for a lot of what was happening in the house with my sister. So again, it really, I found a lot of strength in myself by being there for my family and my sisters and helping to take care of them and make sure that they had a nice life, you know? so. I don't know. I hope that answers the question. That's where I first got started. And then, you know, at an early age, my mom, because my parents didn't didn't make a lot of money, 
my mom was always hiring me out for jobs. And my daughter actually asked me the other day, she said, Mom, or it was my son, my son Danzig, he said, Mom, what was the biggest boost your parents gave you? Now, he thought it was going to be like money. Like they boosted you into your adulthood or they gave, you know, what was the biggest boost, that, boost he calls it, that your parent gave you? Because in his friend group, they always talk about all the things their parents are providing for them. And I didn't have that as a kid. I really started thinking about the boost that my parents gave me, and it was at an early age. So I started working probably about the age of eight. My mom would get me babysitting jobs. By 11 and 12, I was, I was like the Kim Dry Charlie for, you know, at home and, and garden shows. So I put on this outfit. Nobody knew there was a 12-year-old under that costume. You're a mascot. I was like walking around in the Kim Dry Charlie. And, um, you know, at 14, I was doing demos in the grocery store, which is where I learned to love sales. I was mm. the best salesperson that the grocery stores had ever seen. In history. <laughs> but that's where I learned to love sales. because, And actually, it wasn't that I loved sales. It was just I knew if I sold all the products out, I got to go home. Mm. So I just like made sure to get it all off the shelf. Because otherwise I had to stay there for eight hours, right, selling the product. So when I when that started happening, the grocery stores started stocking up when they knew I was coming. And then they started having me training all of the grown women who got hired on to the, do the demos. So, uh, you know, I, I had experience with leadership really young, uh, especially in the workplace, because I was teaching these other women how to do the job and how to sell. And uh, when I was 16, I got to have my first real job. That was my choice. I remember I was so excited. I was like, I'm turning 16, got my driver's license, um, got a car, and I get to work a job that I want. And I went and got a job at the Chinese restaurant, the little Chinese restaurant in a, uh, a, a it was, I, at the time, my parents were living in uh, Heber City, Utah. There's about 10,000 people. We had one stop sign. And... Uh, and there weren't a whole lot of job opportunities, but I remember thinking, I'm going to get that job. And I quick, quickly became the manager, running the entire front end of the restaurant, doing all the hiring. I hired all the girls from my high school. And, um, and I really learned a lot about business there. So I was really young, and I, was, I had learned how to be valuable. So we kind of going back to boosts, right? When we talk about the boosts that my parents gave me, my parents taught me to work really hard. Mm. and to be valuable to people. And if somebody gave you a job, it was uh, an honor to be there. And I know a lot of people don't feel that way these days, but it really helped me because we were able to really grow that Chinese restaurant. We had the best service, and I was hiring my friends, and it was a great experience, and I did that until I went away to high school. And that was kind of the start of, of, of the ramp of where I was going to be CEO. Yeah, and you, and you had pride. Right. And I, yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that's really interesting. You know, one of the parallels and I think where we connected is when I was only eight years old, I started my first business um, growing up in the Boy Scouts in the hood, which is a very weird juxtaposition and dichotomy, <laughs> uh, adding in growing up a Mormon Boy Scout in the hood. Like now we're really talking. Um, I would go to the big lots on the corner of 30th and Georgetown in Indianapolis. And I would steal candy bars, 
and I would go and put on my Boy Scout uniform. And this is back when kids could walk the streets at yeah. eight o'clock at night. And I would just knock on doors with my Boy Scout uniform on and be like, we're trying to fund a trip. And that's a hundred percent profit margin, by the way. Um, and so that was that was early on into my endeavors into working. Like we were working as kids because A, it was like it was weird. They taught us those skills. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if they still do that with kids and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts anymore. And, but, but what I do know is like that transpired in me getting into leadership super young, being an executive super young, making six figures super young, the whole nine. And, and I remember though, as a kid though, I was like, man, I fucking hate this. I yeah. hate working. My first, my first actual legal job was at a Hollywood video just stocking shelves, rewinding tapes back when you used to like find people for not yeah. rewinding tapes. What an asinine idea, right? You and, get to charge them for that too, and, right? And you would charge them for that. Like, Smith, you didn't rewind your fucking tape. That's 87 cents, yeah. bro. And like, I, I have like literally hated it. So you're, you're 16, 17, you're in this, you're building out effectively someone else's business, yeah. which is like the truth of it. You're, you're, are, are you learning to read and write at this point? Like, what, what I, by that happening? time, I had learned. So, you know, honestly, when I, when I did the probably about seventh and eighth grade is where like learning clicked. And I think a lot of it came from that teacher giving me that boost of confidence. Cause I think at that point, I just had so many people tell me I couldn't do it. Yeah. That I just didn't care to do it. There, there's a resilience study that has been done, I think it's up to 30,000 people have participated in it. And they found that kids who grow up in traumatic households or have learning disabilities or have adverse childhood experiences growing up, if one adult advocates for them, they have a higher likelihood of success. Yeah, Like it's exponential. It's like 100,000% more likely. I'm yeah. just making up that number. I'd have to go look at the study again, so I'm sorry for misquoting it. But there's an amazing amount of resiliency that comes from one person believing. And so you're in this place. Okay. So now you're 16, 17, you're, you're running this company. I'm sure you're still in school. Like what's happening in your life. I mean, in school I was failing. I was as most entrepreneurs are, right, I was doing great on the job. My boss loved me. You know, I, the people who were working for me loved me, you know, because I, you know, still to this day, I'm a good boss. You know, I, I love the people I work with and I've always, tried to uh, make that a fun experience for them, but also make success easy for them. I think that's an important thing. It's something mm. that's always been important to me. Um, so I was failing out of school, and somehow, because I spent all that time in um, special education, you know, I think they just needed to check a box, so they said, we're going to give her a scholarship. Despite the fact that I'm graduating high school with a 2.0. Now, mind you, by that time, I was working at, I was running the Chinese restaurant. My dad enlisted me to go work at the supermarket with him. So I had uh, two jobs in high school. I mean, I, I remember I would literally start work on Friday at 5 p.m. And I would end uh, Sunday nights and get up and go to school the next morning. And I, I had worked two jobs all weekend. And then I continued to work it all week. And I really did love the work. I, I, I mean, I still love work. Work is just, when we talk about, like, doing what you love, I'm I love work. You know what I mean? I don't know how else to say that. It's like, it's a real thing Same. for me. I love work. Me too. It's, and, and even when I worked for other people, I always loved it. Um, so despite barely graduating from high school, I got this scholarship. My mom was so excited. Everybody in my whole family was so excited because they're like, you're the first one to go to college. And uh, I do about two semesters and I'm like, this isn't for me. 
It was too stressful. I actually preferred being at work. I did not want to go to school. I was failing out of college. And, you know, I didn't want to be disappointing to people because I had this full ride. Who doesn't at least give that a chance? But to me, it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't earn that. Did, it wasn't even where I wanted to be. Did you know that they had just given you the scholarship? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah. You know? So you didn't you, you didn't have the sense of I earned it. Mm-mm. I actually resonate with that a lot. That makes a lot of sense. I didn't have the sense that I earned it. I really felt like I think they just had to take a kid who had been in special education and give them this. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, they picked me. Um, but I didn't earn it. I wasn't happy. It was stressful. I didn't have uh, I didn't have a lot of financial backing from my parents or anybody for that matter you know, a grandparent or it, it was all up to me. So here I'm going to school, working multiple jobs. I preferred to be at work, but I also was barely surviving. And to me, the the solution was to get out of school. And I remember I told my family that I was going to leave school. They were devastated. Probably freaked out. Oh, freaked out. I mean, they're still freaked out to this day. I mean, 43 years old. They're still like, you had a full ride. <laughs> I'm a CEO of a tech company. Like, that you where are. do you go from there? Like, but they still bring that up. So, you know, I had this full ride. So I leave college and I end up going back to California, which is where I grew up. And it's funny that you brought up the Mormon church because I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in Palmdale, which is like the desert ghetto. Um, and one of the, the things that I had learned in the Mormon church, like you were mentioning about the Boy Scouts, was they always had us do like etiquette classes. Because that was not something that that anybody ever taught me was to to be a proper lady or whatever that looked like. But that really did help me. You know, it helped me a lot. I'm very grateful that they they gave me that training because I needed some polish, right? Especially to to get where I am today. Hindsight 2020. I'm very grateful that I had that. Um, but anyways, going back to to my journey. So I I leave college. And I go down to California. I'm living with my grandma. And she was like, well, now we got to get you a real job. And she gets me this job at the front desk of some PVC company, which I, you know, they were making like plastics. And I hated it because, again, it wasn't a job that I wanted. I was just kind of being forced into it because if I was going to live with her, that was what I was going to do. That was her role. And uh, I remember after work, I would sneak out and go play laser tag, which... (laughs) This is going to sound really silly, but laser tag was a huge passion of mine. I really loved paintball and laser tag. I played all the time. And I would sneak out, and I'd go get a game in and then go home and not tell anybody that I'd been out playing laser tag. That was my fun. You know, 19-year-olds do a lot of crazy stuff. My fun was going and playing laser tag. super intense. Yeah. (laughs) But I was really good at it. So I'm in there all the time, and finally I see that they were hiring. They needed a they needed a general manager, and here I am, 19. I'm like, I don't think anybody's going to give me this job because I'm 19 years old, but I'm going to apply for it anyways. I go in there. I killed it on the interview. They gave me the job as the general manager of – and mind you, there's 50 employees. And I I'd never managed a team that big. Yeah, but you've been in leadership for like four years leadership. now. Yeah, and even in it, you know when I was in student body, I learned leadership. You know the peer tutoring, you learn a lot of leadership. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I get this job at this laser tag place, and I like kill it. I kill it in sales. My employees love me. The customers are happy, and um, and it, it just was a huge boost for my confidence. 
I really loved myself and my life at that time. I was very proud of the work that I was doing. And it was, it was pretty, it was a, a pretty serendipitous thing that it just happened. And here, and I was at a laser tag place. I was playing laser tag as much as I wanted. I used to play like in sync in the laser tag arena and everybody would be all mad at me. <laughs> that's what I was into. <laughs> They're like, this is not laser tag music. But I was pumped to do play. Today. Do, you th- do you think that the reason that this came to mind as you were speaking, because it dawned on me like in real time, this is probably the reason why I love working so much. It's because I get to be in control of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I felt real in control at that point. Yeah. You know? And the business owner was kind of checked out because it was doing so good. He was, like, off doing whatever he did. I think he was doing some real – he was getting into real – at that point, he was getting into real estate. He was only, like, a 30-year-old guy. Um, and I think he didn't kind of inherited it because it was an old Cusar. His family had owned a lot of them. So I don't think it was really his passion either. But mm. um, we're, I was killing it for him, and so he just let me run the show. And, uh, and this is where the end of my story kind of starts. If I can bring up Gatemaster technology, the company that I run today. So we used Gatemaster in that facility and it was the first iteration of the product. Gatemaster started in 1995 by a guy named Stephen Richardson, super amazing, eccentric guy. Um, and just, you know, there, there was no software for this market. And he owned a QZAR as well. And this was his brother who owned the facility that I ran. Um, and his software just made my life so easy. And, and what did it do? It did uh, ticketing. It did memberships. It, did, uh, it managed the laser tag arenas. It did all the birthday party bookings. And it pretty much managed all of the revenue uh, sources of the business. And uh, so it was a full on SaaS product. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but this was like 19, 1999. Yeah, we didn't call them that back then. We didn't call them that back then. And and also, there wasn't really much out there. This was like his thing. This was his baby. He just thought of this one day. He was like, there needs to be a software for this. And he and he made that. And I, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, his brother ended up selling the selling the facility, the QZAR, which was in Southern California, a few years later. And um, I think I was 22 at the time. And there was this guy who was working for Steve and he said, you've got to talk to Sandra. I think she can help you make the product better because nobody had really done the things that I had done in the family entertainment space in terms of revenue and growth. Cause this was still, I mean, my, my competitor at the time was six flags and we were still killing it. Mm -hmm. Right. So they said, you can, you need to talk to Sandra. And this is in California still. This is in California. And he was in Northern, he was in San Francisco. And he, they, they said, you, 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 you got to talk to her. So they brought me up to San Francisco because I was looking for a job at that point because they had sold the facility. And uh, they took me on the first job. They hadn't even hired me yet. They took me on the job. And it was this batting cage. And they had this team. And, they, and, and I, I'm just going to tell the story like it really is. I had this, there was the guy who brought me in. He was kind of like... He liked me, but he also saw me as competition. So it was really difficult to get time with Steve to really get the job. So I appreciated that he brought me there. But at the same time, I could tell he was like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, she might take this thing over. (laughs) So what I did was is I just, on that first day at that batting cage, I just said, these are all the solutions they need. Can you build this? Can you do that? And Steve was like, that'll work. You know, I remember all the things we built. 
And he's like, you're hired. And he brought me on. And uh, I didn't have much experience with software other than Gate Master that we'd used. I didn't even have a computer. Here I am. They're like, you're going to work for a tech company now. So I had to quickly buy a computer and act like I knew what I was doing with computers because we didn't. Like, where's the on button? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even have a computer. And I remember telling my mom and dad what's going on. They're like, you need a real job. Yeah. You need a real job. I'm like, this is a real job. Just let me. I mean, because, you know, this this would have been like 2002. How do you explain to people that you're going to do technology, didn't graduate from. Yeah, I mean, you're a college dropout, flunk third grade. You know, to them, they thought I just needed a job that had 401k and a retirement and all of the things that, you know, they worked for, right? For generations, people have been working for that. Whereas for me, I just, I didn't care about that. Yeah. I was just thinking about right now, like, what can I do right now? What what I think about in that is and when I walked away, so at 20 years old, I landed a job with a Fortune 10 company. No high school diploma, no college education, fucking impossible, right? I've shared this story on the show so many times. But one of the things I haven't really shared before is I remember I came home and I'm I'm at my apartment and I decide to go hang out with my best friend and I'm going to tell him. I'm like, yo, I'm leaving this job. I'm going to start this photography business. And you have to think, I was making like 130, yeah. which is fucking crazy for wow. a 26-year-old, yeah. right? It's unbelievable. It's crazy for anybody, really, if you think sure. about it. And and he goes, this is the worst decision you'll ever make in your life. And I I just remember like he it was almost like he had written me off. He just been like, dude, if you do this, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're never going to be successful. And now I understand it's like the reflection of someone's own inadequacies and fears and things of that nature. But I I was like, fuck it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Yeah. I'll go back and get another corporate job. Yeah. Right? How did you navigate? this moment of I'm going to make this transition. It's not a quote unquote real job. Cause to a lot of people, real jobs sitting at a desk, answering fucking phones, let's call it what it is. Right. Well, not only that, like it, it, at least the people that I was around, you know, my parents, my cousins, you know, everybody in my family, they had all worked blue collar jobs. So the idea that I was going to go work for a tech company was just crazy to them. Cause People who didn't have educations didn't get those jobs. Why didn't you come to the pressure of that, though? And that's that self-love piece. I think for me, I just I just kept saying, "Why I'm worthy of this. Mm. These guys see something in me. You know, I, I, you know, I, I've heard, I've, I've heard you talk about before, you know, like, being poor sucks, yeah. right? Hey, Unbroken Nation, we'll be right back to the show. But I wanted to let you know that you can grab a copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, for free. If you go to book.thinkunbroken.com, you can download the PDF ebook version of the book and get everything that I know about the baseline of healing trauma for free downloaded to your email right now. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to download your copy of Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma for a PDF for your phone. Again, that is book.thinkunbroken.com. I grew up very, very poor. I mean, and having money, you know, I learned at an early age, if I had money, I had options, right? And so that's why work was also really important for me because it got me the things that I wanted, right? And so having money gave me options. And um, 
I wanted a line on more money. Mm. You know, I, I bought my first home when I was 22, which is crazy. That's nuts. By myself. Yeah, I bought my first home when I was 22. And, um, and I don't know why I, I want, you know, I just, there were these, it, to me, it was like the American dream. I had to buy a home and I, I, I just wanted to do it. It was like a goal. I set this goal, I'm going to buy a house mm. in my 20s. I didn't know anybody who had done that before. Yeah. It was probably the first person in my graduating class to buy a house, right? Trailblazer. Yeah. So I bought this house and, uh, and, and it was just setting up these big goals, right? Just continuing to say, you know, I, I think for me, the reason I didn't succumb is because I always had these big goals out there, like buying a home that I couldn't go back to working at the grocery store. I couldn't go back to working in a restaurant. I had to figure out how to level up. And so when I had this opportunity with, with Gate Master, I knew this is, this is like once in a lifetime. People like me don't get that. Because he didn't care that I didn't have an education. Because that first day I went into that batting cage and solved all their problems. I put myself in the service, in their service. And that was also something that I did with Steve. Was, uh, you know, he was a, an amazing developer. But he needed help working on his business and growing his business. And, um, and to me, it was just a matter of, well, how can I serve this person? How can I be valuable to him? Because he, he clearly believes in me. And I think that's where the opportunity is going to grow. So I think that's really it was just, you know, just recognizing an opportunity that was going to help me achieve the goals that I wanted. Yeah. And, and a lot of people will balk at that. They'll steer clear of it. They'll convince themselves that they don't deserve it. They'll, they'll go, well, you know, I felt third grade and I didn't learn how to read till I was like fucking 14, blah, blah, blah. And that, that stuff exists, right? What do you think, is there something that you can point to that is, I don't want to necessarily use the word practical, but the word practical comes to mind. Was there something practical in this journey that helped you step into the ability of trusting yourself? Or was it just like, fuck it, what do I have to lose? Because for me, I learned how to trust myself from being like, fuck it, what do I have to lose? I think there was definitely an element of what do I have to lose? Because like, you know, it was surreal sometimes being in the in this position where, you know, uh, I, I didn't really know what to do a lot of the time. I was learning on the job. So um, there was a little bit of that. But then there was also that part of me that, you know, I really loved myself. I learned to love myself, you know, because of that, Going back to that self-esteem piece, I had decided I was going to have high self-esteem. And when I realized that mm. that meant self-love, you know, that even that's a difficult journey because I'll tell you, I had a lot of people tell me, you're conceited, whatever that looks like. And it's like, no, I, I, I've never looked at what another person had and been jealous or upset with them. I'm like, awesome. How do I get that? That was not my experience. Yeah, I was yeah. like, how do I do that? Like, I just need to learn. You know, I'm very happy for that person. Do you? So I, I want to rewind real quick because I think this would be really empowering for people listening. When you were navigating self love, self esteem, what made you realize like one equals the other? And what was the process of you said you chose to learn how to love yourself and to love yourself? Yeah. What did that process look like? Because I think like people are so fucking stuck in not doing that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are stuck in not doing that. But 
I mean, I think it was a little bit of an evolution, you know, when I, when I think back at like how I was in those special ed classes and, and, and when I would see somebody struggling, I, I would try to help them. And I started realizing that I felt really good about myself doing that because now they're feeling better about themselves. And so it was a little bit of at, at that in the early stages, it was more. And, and I heard, I don't know, I don't know if there's like a, a quote or a study. I read something one time that said something that, you know, you can, ha the happiest people are not the people who have the most, they're the people that give the most. I didn't know that back then, but, you know, looking back, I, I can, I can see how that did benefit me. I was, I found a lot of happiness and love for myself in just being giving of myself. And I, I still today, I mean, I, I think if you hang around with me, you'll know that, you know, I'll do anything for the people around me so long as they're not like taking me down. Yeah. Cause that was a boundary I had to learn later in life. Right. That I can't help people who there's some people you can't help. Yeah. Right. And that's a whole other thing. But. Yeah. I, let's talk about that. Cause sure. I think that matters because, you know, I, I have this thought, you know, and, and this might have come from Grant Cardone and planted it in my brain, but he he said one time, like, Mother Teresa flew around on private jets. And I was like, that's such a really fascinating point because you're able to still give and have this amazing, powerful, beautiful life. Giving does not equal taking away from yourself. And yeah. I think so many people feel like, well, if I want to give, if I want to help the world, if I want to make a betterment of my environment, that means I have to sacrifice, I have to be poor, I have to like be all these things. But I've come to discover that's not true at all. Like you can be successful in life and give and not have to sacrifice and be poor and all those things. But in that process, something that you just pointed to that I think is incredibly profound and important is recognizing that sometimes people are going to try to take you down with them. Yeah. What does that look like and how do you navigate that? I, I think for me, it's always showed up as some sort of like um, negative being put towards me, right? So somebody saying, oh, well that self-love looks like conceited, it's conceited. So they always try to spin it in that way. Or, you know, even in it, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this, that you're, you want to know what it, what the, um, what helping somebody who doesn't want to be helped look like. And I think for me, a lot of times it just shows up as somebody who's, not changing. You know, I give a lot of business advice to people today. I mean, a lot of people come to me, I, you know, uh, just to, to give some perspective to your audience, you know, I've worked with over 800 businesses in 800 in 16 countries, grow, scale their businesses, create alignments with their team. Because one of the things that I realized at Gatemaster early on was, if I don't help these people with their businesses, this product's not going to be successful. Because it was it, it it was such a new product or idea. I mean, point of sale wasn't even really a thing. People were still using Casios. We were going in and replacing these old Casio cash registers with software. And a lot of these people didn't know how to use software. But then in addition to that, they didn't know how to run their businesses. So now, today, a lot of people, because of that experience, I mean, I, I went to 800 locations in 16 countries. When I say that, I've worked with many more businesses in that I've lost count at this point. But when a lot of people come to me looking for business advice, you know, there comes a point where it's like, 
Either they got to do it or they're not going to do it. And I can't waste my time anymore. Right? Because these, it's, it's their goal. I try to help people find clarity on their goal because it's an important, I think another important step that maybe um, I didn't talk about here, but you know, for me and you know, part of the reason I go by big goal energy is because having these big goals out there in the future really did help me stay the course. Even when I doubted myself, I just kind of knew where I wanted to go. I knew I wanted, I bought my first house. I knew I wanted a second house someday and next time it was going to be bigger, right? And actually, when I married Jake, he bought our first house. I bought our second house. You know what I mean? And it was just this fun game that we've we've always kind of done together. Is is what can we what can we do together and build together? But having these big goals out there really kept me on the course. And so I try to help people figure out what their goals are. But there comes a point with a lot of people where they give up on themselves. They give up on their goals. You know, and I have to be like, this is your goal, not mine. I got to kind of back off of putting in my time, energy, and resources into helping you achieve your goals. And and to me, that's what that looks like. Yeah. Now, right? I mean, I don't really surround myself with people who aren't driven. I just can't. Mm. Because it it's there's only so much time, you know? I mean, when we look at our lives and what we want to accomplish, I'm not trying to cut anybody out for any because I don't love people. I love everybody. I mean, I, I, I can't even think of a person I don't like, really, you know? And I, and I mean that sincerely. But um, I know that I only have so much time. I mean, I've been with Gatemaster for 20 years. That's a long time to do something. Yeah, you know, I became CEO in 2010. And, um, and when I arrived there, I thought, this is awesome. You know what I mean? Like I'm a CEO now. I became a CEO. You know, there's some interesting statistics in tech. You know, only about 26%, I think actually it's 24% are women in tech. Maybe 15% of uh, females get to be tech CEOs. But the amount of women exiting tech is 45 times higher than men. That's a lot. You know, so that also, once I became a CEO, it became a mission of like, I've got to hang in here. I've got to hang in here. I've got to, I have a lot to prove now. Mm. And, um, and I know that that kind of took us off on a whole other no, tangent, no, no, but. No. It, and, and I think two things come to mind. One, and just because I was an executive at a very young age as well, in my very early thirties, like there's a statistic around that as well. Most people in C-suite levels, they're like 45, 50 years yeah. old. I was an executive at 31. Yeah, same. You know, and it's you, you look at that and you're like, "Whoa, that's crazy." And and for me it was like fucking chip on my shoulder. Like honestly it was. Me looking at wanting to build all these different things, also running side hustles and other businesses and being like to a word that used to prove it. And, and I don't know if this held true for you, but I was proving it to me growing up and everyone always being like, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not capable enough. You come from a loser family. Nobody has money, you know, car repos and homelessness and the whole nine. I was just like, fucking watch me. Yeah. Do you, do you think like this process has been just proving to yourself? Cause here's everything that I do. And to your point, cause people will say, Hey, you have this 
air of ego or conceitedness. And I'm like, no, you don't get it. I'm proving to myself and me alone what I'm capable of doing. Well, I think that uh, that, that goes back to your question earlier, too. Maybe this is a better answer. You know, there's a lot of people that don't that give up on themselves. Right. And then don't do what they say they're going to do. All the time. Right. So how can you feel good about yourself when you're not doing what you say you're going to do? I mean, even despite if other people care about that, to me, it always meant something to me. Like, I'm still looking. I'm still watching this journey. I don't want to let me down. Mm. You know, I I love myself. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that to I wouldn't do that to anybody else. Why would I do that to me? What do you what do you do in those moments when you do let yourself down, though? I mean, I try to have grace with myself. Usually when I let myself down, it's because I made a mistake more so than. You didn't try. I didn't try yeah. because I, I'm not the kind of person I'll try anything. Yeah. And there are times where I'm like, yeah, well, so, you know, uh, I always wanted to do uh, be a, a do a bodybuilding competition. So I was training for one when I was in my early 20s and I got injured and I never made it. So when I was 40, I went back and I started training to do all this bodybuilding. I was in the best shape of my life, right? But it came to be about competition time. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really into this. Mm. It's taken away from my bigger goals, which is work. You know, there were some things that were being required of me, like, you know, the the final lean out, you know, where you got to get real lean. You just got to starve yourself. I just for really weeks. wasn't into it. And I'm like, I had to just tell myself, look, the 20 year old me and the 40 year old me, are not aligned as far as that goal was. But I tried. I don't feel bad about that. Yeah. I mean, how many 40-year-olds do you know even try? Yeah. You know, and that's so interesting, too, because I think the older that people get, the more they're willing to quit on themselves. Yeah. And and I look at it, you know, I have a client and, you know, working with adult survivors of childhood trauma, like, this is a, a really intense space. And she's, like, fucking 64 years old. She's like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm still alive. There is still time. And, and my hope is that people won't quit on themselves, that they won't give right. that. They'll, that they'll seek self-love and ultimately find that thing that brings them you know, fulfillment and joy and happiness and, and do it through a word I think you use, which is really important, grace. Because yeah. fuck, you're going to fuck up a lot, all the time, every day. And, and I think so many people get tied into this idea of perfection and making sure it's great so everybody else can see it. And I'm just like, if you knew how many episodes of this show have not been released or were recorded that I forgot to press fucking record or that the mic wasn't sure. plugged in or whatever, and you're just like, well, you don't quit. You just keep going. Just keep doing it. Big goal energy. I love this idea. I love the concept because I think that ultimately big goals are what will pull you forward into the existence that you can create. I think a lot of people are stuck in not knowing how to navigate that. So as someone who is a CEO, an entrepreneur, also a wife and a mom and all the other incredible things that I know that you do that I'll let you bring to light if you choose to, how do you create goals? How do you manage life? How do you move forward with all of the different elements that you have in, encompassing you all the time? I think I think goal creation is a process, and I think that's not talked about a lot because I think people think you like have to have clarity on the goal, right? My goals are constantly evolving, and sometimes I'm trying new things. And then there are a lot of things pulling me, right? I've got my company that I'm running. 
I have these side projects that I'm doing. I have children that I'm trying to be a good parent. And, you know, I've heard you talk about this too. I'm trying to break generational behaviors as a parent. And, you know, there's a lot of me going into that, right? And, and actually that's part of my, that's, that's part of my, uh, my journey too. You know, there was a time early on when I first had my first kid, everybody, you know, when I started with Gate Masters, the youngest and the only woman. And I remember I could hear a lot of the guys saying, when she has a baby, she's out of here. And I can literally heard them say I, that. I heard them say it. Yeah. I, you know, and it would break my heart. Cause I'm like, why can't I have both? Why can't I have both? You know, that being said, I have delivered at least, you know, I had one, I was on a client call in labor with my first, <laughs> you know, I'm really dedicated you're, to this you're work fucking thing. made for TV now, movie. Do I, you know, and I, and, and, and granted I've had women come to me and say, Hey, you've created impossible standards for women, but you know, I'm not trying to create standards for anybody. Mm. I'm just competing with me here. Yeah. Right. I, I, you know, and, and even with my last, I had him at home. So there was, you know, there was no drugs involved in that childbirth. So I was not talking to anybody, right? With my first, I would epidurals, you know, it was pain-free. I could take a take client a call. Client call. Right. <laughs> but with my last, I had him at home and it happened so fast and it was, it was painful enough that I was not even interested in talking to a client. And by that time, the company didn't need me to be on a phone call while I was giving birth. You know, they had it. Um, but you know, I went back to work two days later and it wasn't to, and it, it, maybe there was a little bit of like, I had to prove, but more I had to prove to myself because I had made a pretty big deal and I had told them, yes, I'm going to have a baby, but I'll be there. And he came two weeks early. So it messed up my plan. <laughs> right. So I had to go back to work two days later. So, you know, I wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody or create any standard. I was just trying to do what I said I was going to do for a client who gave me their money mm -hmm. and believed in me enough to say, here's this big check. Do, do your work. You know, he said you're going to be there even if you had a baby. So I did. And I think that that's, uh, I think that's a, a big part of, the goals is just sometimes it looks different than what we thought it was going to look like, you know? And you've got to be willing to evolve with it. You've got to be able to go where it takes you. You just can't give up on what that is. Now, when I became a CEO, you know, I didn't know what was supposed to happen from there, right? I never I, – I just had my eye on it. I knew that at some point – Steve was going to replace himself and he was going to need a, he was going to need an executive in that position. There was a lot of people going for that role, you know, working towards that goal. And I, I knew that if I could grow, help him grow the company and be valuable enough to him, I would get that position. And that was really, I don't, I don't have an MBA. I didn't go to college. We talked about that. Right. But I knew that being valuable was important. And I think that's something that's really lost on a lot of people right now. You know, I don't believe there aren't good people out there. I just think that we have a lot of negative beliefs about work culture today. And I think it's coming from both sides, both the employers and the employees, um, where, you know, they're not being valued, the employee, and the employee doesn't value 
the job. Now, I don't, I, 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 one of the things I, I talk about, actually, I'm going to be at the Florida Attractions Association next week talking about um, the generational divide. That was not a, a, a title that I picked. I probably would have picked something different. But I think it's interesting because it is important to them. They believe that a lot of this is generational. To me, I believe that, you know, if you don't have alignment, it doesn't matter what generation we're dealing with. True. Right? However, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about there's no good people to work these days, right? And I hate that. I hate hearing that because I don't think that's what it is. I think there's a couple of things happening, you know. One, the baby boomers, there's not enough of us to replace them. So the people who are getting the jobs have a lot more options um, than they did, the people who came before them. And then two, um, Maybe that's created a little bit of entitlement, and so people aren't trying to be as valuable to the people who hire them. You know, I really value the people that want to add value to what I'm doing. And because of that, it's important to me to help them achieve their goals. But that's also how I gauge whether or not this is somebody I should be helping. Yeah, that that's a great point. And I think that applies across the spectrum, not even just from a, a work perspective, because you know, the, the, um, the people you're surrounded with matter so much in this journey. And, and I think we often fail to realize that because we want to, you know, I don't think it's about hurting people's feelings. I've never, I won't say never for a very long time. Now I've tried to not be intentional about doing anything that makes anyone feel bad. And I, I think by the proxy of growth, unfortunately, it's a part of the evolution of self. Like, if you're not in alignment with people, you have to recognize that and honor that and be willing to remove yourself and not pour yourself and your energy into them. Because I'm sure that there's people who they'll they'll want to destroy you over going to work two days later. And then a person like me sitting across from you goes, I get it. I had surgery in February. I was working two days later. Yeah. Right. And it's because this is who I choose to be. It has nothing to do with you. Like if you don't, if you want to take a year off after you have a surgery or have a kid, like more power to you. Yeah. I got no disrespect. Like that has nothing to do with me. And I think that a lot of this is you choosing your path, deciding on who you want to be and executing against it. What do you think is, as we start to wrap up here, what do you think is something really important that people need to know about self-love that, that you've discovered about this journey that has helped you be a more effective leader? I think just being an authentic, real person, you know, when I talk to people, be it a client or the team that I have, you know, it's important for me to let them know that I'm a human too. We're all human here, right? The human experience is a lot of trial and error. I don't have all the answers, you know, but I'm willing to try and figure it out. And I think that's kind of going back to the dyslexia. I always say, like, my dyslexia is my superpower because mm -hmm. I do see problems differently than other people, and I think that's benefited me. And I am willing to help figure, figure it out, figure out whatever that looks like. You know, I've got a 28-year-old company. We've never been sued, knock on wood, right? We never had anybody come after us because no matter who it was, I was always willing to work through whatever that looked like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important part because if you can do the hard stuff, and prove it to yourself. And sometimes in, in my case at work, it's, you know, dealing with a customer who maybe isn't satisfied with the service or, or the product that we provided. And how do we make that right for them, right? That's a hard thing to do. 
I think a lot of people when faced with just general challenges will just abandon ship, right? Truth. They'll just abandon ship. And for me, you know, if I abandon ship, I don't feel that great about myself. So I don't ever abandon ship. I just go through it. And I think that that's an important exercise with self-love because when you get on the other side of the hard stuff is where the real magic happens and that's where the real love lies, right? Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I totally agree with that entirely because every single time that I've pushed myself through the discomfort of not wanting to get up, not go show up, not do the thing, not whatever it is, like it's like I've quit on myself so many times that I had to reverse that that entire mentality and be like, I refuse to quit. Anyone who really knows me, like outside of this show, outside of coaching out, but like the people in my personal life who know me, know when I say something's done, the only difference between success and failure in that is time. Because yeah. eventually I'm going to get it done. And I'm and there's hard days, right? There's days you wake yeah. up like, I don't want to fucking be a CEO. I don't want to be an executive. I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to be a podcast host. And you go, well, guess what? Do it anyway. Because you made a decision. Yeah. And in that decision, you made a commitment to yourself. And like you, for me, self-esteem, self-love, confidence is so important in my journey that I know that the second I stop doing the things I said I was going to do, I can paint a picture of exactly what my life is going to look like. And and my hope is that more people will feel empowered about self-esteem. You shouldn't feel like, to me, I think about this all the time. People are like, they'll make fun of me and they'll be like, oh, humble brag. I'm like, I don't want to be that humble. I've earned this. Yeah. I work my fucking face off. Like if I want to brag a little bit, like, can I have some space? And I don't feel guilty about that at all. I don't either. You know, and I'm to the point now where it's like, I love what I've done. Yeah. And it hasn't always been easy. And, you know, it's cliche, but people always say you don't get to see the journey to where you're at right now. You know, I I can't cover my 20 year career in an hour conversation. It's been wild, you know, but, um, you know, I can talk about where I'm at. And there are people who, like you said, don't think that that's a, a humble position to take. But I think that hopefully that inspires other people to 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 not be humble. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't have to be. I earn these things. They're mine. Yeah. And I'm I, I'm not. That's not to take away from anybody else. They're just. It's yours. To keep me on my own path of happiness. Yeah, 100%. Well, you know, as I always say, if you don't believe in yourself, who will? Before I ask you my last question, my friend, where can everyone find you? So you guys can find, probably the best place to find me, if you really just want to connect, is going to be on Instagram at Big Goal Energy. Um, My company is Gatemaster Technology, and you can find us at gatemaster.com. And uh, those are the two best places to find me. If if uh, if you're uh, wanting wanting to chat, I would definitely shoot over a message on Instagram. That is me on my Instagram <laughs> talking to people because it's important to me yeah. to be to be connected to people. It is. Same. I tell everyone, no matter where you find me, the only person touching my social media is me. Yeah. My last question for you, my friend: What does it mean to you to be unbroken? Well, I think what it means to me to be unbroken is, you know, I hate to repeat the same thing, but it's that it's that self-love, you know, just being okay with being imperfect. Yeah. Right? It's okay. Hmm. It's okay to be a real person, having a real human experience. And 
for good or bad, embracing that and knowing that there, we only have so much time here. So what are we going to do with what time is left? And for me, I just, I just want to keep doing cool shit with cool people. I love it. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate you. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. We'll be right back to the show, my friend, but I wanted to let you know about our brand new podcast community for Think Unbroken Podcast. I know that for so many trauma survivors like myself, for the longest time, I felt alone, like nobody got it, nobody understood, and that I was just going to have to figure this out on my own. But that's not true. And the reason why we created our brand new Think Unbroken Academy podcast community is so that we can bring all the members of the Unbroken Nation together in a place where we can learn, grow, heal, change, and transform our trauma into triumph. I would love to have you come and be a part of the brand new community. Just check out thinkunbrokenacademy.com or click the link in the podcast description. And I cannot wait to see you there, my friend. Again, just head over to thinkunbrokenacademy.com. And until then, be unbroken. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. 
And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.